I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Lisa Shobana. Lisa is a sari weaver, designer, instructor, intuitive, and an astrologer. She's the author of Yarn Play, Colorful Techniques, and Projects for the Creative Knitter, and Yarn Play at Home, Hand Knits for Colorful Living. She's contributed her design patterning and beautiful colorways to a number of popular fiber media outlets. And I'm excited to share our conversation with you all today. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, LaShawn. Thank you for having me. Can you start out by introducing yourself? I am Lisa Shobana Mason. I am a knitter and sori weaver, and I've been involved in fiber arts and textiles since, I guess, probably around 2000 or so was about the time that I first started knitting, so since about that time. Did you begin knitting before you began weaving? I began with knitting, and the way that I came to knitting, um, all of my life I'd really been into fashion, and at the time I was collecting um, vintage designer clothing and always looking for that unique piece that no one else had. And so I was doing a lot of vintage shopping, and at the time, uh, people started opening, that was the time when people started opening high-end vintage resale shops. So pieces started to become harder and harder to come by and more expensive. And I wasn't really drawn to sewing, so I thought, I think I'm going to learn how to knit so that I could have sweaters that no one else had, and that's how I came to knitting. Mm. And how did you make your way to sari weaving? So sari weaving, I had been knitting um, for a long time and felt a bit sort of bored with it and like I hit my wall with that. So I had been just putting my feelers out there for something else, another medium um, to express myself. And a friend mentioned that he was taking a Saori workshop and I said, oh, that sounds interesting. I should check that out. And like with most things that I take an interest in, I just kind of dive in like head first and get really obsessive about it. And so that's what happened with Saori. And the thing I love about Saori, I mean, it's very different from traditional weaving. You're not following a pattern. There aren't a lot of um, strict rules, which is very different from knitting because with knitting, I'm really a a purist and I'm really about doing things um, by the book as far as technique. But all of that kind of goes out the window with Saori. And it's really about expressing yourself through fiber and incorporating the mistakes into your work, into your cloth. And, um, you know, it's very, it's very freeing. So that's the thing that I like most about it because anyone really, anyone can do it that has access to, you know, a loom and has, you know, a Saori instructor that can get them started. I mean, when I mean that anyone can do it, I mean, it's really, 
designed so that people that are differently abled can weave. So I find that really exciting because it's accessible to people that would struggle with learning how to, to weave traditionally. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when I first read about sewery weaving, it originated in Japan. And that's correct. And it was meant to be a form of healing arts. Um, I think healing, uh, and this is my interpretation, I would say healing to the, the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was first introduced to weaving, I actually wove in a sori studio and it was a sori Zen weaving studio and it was just a really beautiful experience. That was the first time I think I made a really, really long cloth within two hours because I was kind of just improvising and using the materials and I was using raw cotton and and all of those different things. And it definitely had an effect on me spiritually. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what inspires you to create your weavings and the ways in which sorry weaving and the technique lives in your work spiritually. Wow, that's a really great question. Um, the thing about Saori, or, or the way that I've been taught the approach, it's not like you're sitting down at your loom and you're saying, I'm going to make, I'm going to weave a scarf, or I'm going to weave cloth for a garment. It's like you weave and you let the cloth tell you what, tell you what it wants to be. Hmm. So... Of course, I will still sit down at the loom and have an idea about what I might want to create, but it's really interesting because it almost always ends up being very different from what I had in mind. And, you know, I'll make a mistake and then I'll kind of fret about it and fret about it. And then as I just kind of work through it, something else will emerge. So I, I think spiritually, I feel that Saori is about coming into harmony with what what emerges on the cloth instead of trying to force it in a direction. So I think that that's also a metaphor for life about having a practice that allows you to, to be in harmony with what is rather than fighting against it. And it's from that place of being in harmony, whether it's with your weaving or with life, if a change needs to be made, that's the, the space that you want to make it from. Mm. And I also see that you're influenced by astrology, divination, and meditation. How would you say these themes relate to your fiber practice? I don't know that they relate to my fiber practice directly. I mean, that's what I do for a living. It's another thing that started out as a hobby um, that I've made a living from all of my adult life. So I don't know that there is a direct um, connection between the two. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that there is. There, there, there probably is, and perhaps some, it's something that someone else might see, but I don't necessarily make that connection in, in my mind. Hmm. 
Yeah, I understand that. So I'm kind of thinking about story weaving and how it is very spiritual and uh, meditation, astrology, divination. Those are all things that kind of, for me, really relate to the spirit and the soul. And so I guess maybe that's my um, kind of looking at your work and conceptualizing it that way. Uh, another thing that I see a lot uh, of your work is garment making. It looks like you're taking the weavings that you create and you're making blouses and dresses. And you've kind of just spoke about um, your admiration for vintage clothing. Can you kind of talk about what inspired you to start incorporating your weavings into garments and also your process of creating them? Well, that's really a Saori thing. And so my the, the garments that I've made are... Some are directly from Saori patterns and others are Saori patterns that I've improvised and a couple are things that I've just either made up on my own or saw something. There's an amazing group of um, Saori weavers in Japan that post like beautiful, beautiful things on Instagram. So I'll take a lot of inspiration from them and I might do my own rendering of something that I've seen them post. Um, and I'm, I'm absolutely terrible at sewing. I don't have the patience for it. Um, it's very frustrating. It's not something that's intuitive for me. So when you talk about um, like slow fashion, this, this is really slow fashion. I mean, that's something that I'm a fan of, but I mean, it, well, it could take me a couple of years to make a garment. I mean, I, will take months making the cloth and then the cloth will get packed away and then one day I'll pull it out and say oh yeah maybe this should be a garment and then that could it could take me another couple of months to actually make the garment so it's it's really truly uh slow fashion and I don't feel the need to be in a hurry to um complete something I really take my time and let it speak to me and really tell me what it wants to be mm. It's really interesting to hear you say that you don't feel that your sewing is great because I think that your garments are gorgeous. And I was honestly looking at them and the seam work specifically with how you are putting together the weavings because one of the issues that I encounter a lot, and maybe it could be different because you're using sorry weavings, but um, the keeping the warp intact when sewing the pieces together. Like, I'm kind of curious of how you piece them together if there's a particular technique when you're doing that. Um, I just follow the way that I was taught in Saori. And if you look in the Saori books, the purple book, the, the main book, which is called Saori Self-Innovation Through Free Weaving. I really just follow the instructions that they lay out for sewing because on my own, I'd be totally lost. I barely know how to use a sewing machine. So I really just follow their process. And do you have to do any prep work when you are piecing the pieces together? Um, I feel like I, I know so little about sewing that I feel like I don't even have a language to really um, answer that question. Um, I probably don't do as much prep as most people simply because I don't have the patience. Like, uh, you know, sometimes I'll iron the cloth before I cut it. Sometimes I, I won't. I always wash it before I, before I um, work with it. But, 
it really should be ironed and then you know you pin it you measure it and you remeasure it and you pin it and i get very impatient about those things so i'm probably doing it in um uh the easiest way that i can get away with and have it be a wearable garment mm. and do you have a fiber preference or a material preference well i really love working with natural fibers um wool is a favorite silk is a favorite silk has been interesting to work with one thing that i didn't realize about it is that as a garment a woven garment it's actually quite heavy and i was really surprised by that so it's always interesting to me to see the difference between how the garment looks and feels on the loom how it feels in the hand how it feels when you wear it and against your body. I probably don't enjoy working with cotton so much as far as weaving. I don't find it as much fun, but it's definitely easier to wear. Mm, yeah, I agree. <laughs> In some of your weavings, I see a lot of color blocking and shapes that are reminiscent of silhouettes and shadows. Can you speak about your patterns and some of your aesthetic choices? Well, I really love working with color. Um, it's interesting. When I first started knitting, I think I only pretty much only wore black clothing or very little like colored clothing. But of course, that's very like boring to knit and it's hard on your eyes. W weaving, it's hard on your eyes. So it was really my love of um working with with fiber and textiles that i actually started to be interested in wearing color so for me weaving saori style is really like painting um with textile so i just really you know i'll put some music on or i'll listen to a podcast and just kind of get into a zone and just just kind of flow with it and let it tell me what it wants to be um I don't sort of conceptualize it a lot going in. I might have some vague idea of something I want to do or something I want to try. And normally that idea doesn't work out. And I end up going with, you know, whatever arises in that moment. But color is something that I'm so excited about. Color and patterns not just on the loom but you know in life i'm always drawn to amazing like patterns and, and textiles and it's just something that's something that's just really thrilling for me mm -hmm. and historically i love textiles um so yeah i don't know if that answers the question because i don't have quote unquote, ideas about it. I just do it and I just make myself available. I put myself in front of the loom and then I see what happens. That's a really beautiful way of kind of describing allowing yourself to kind of be informed by the process and what the materials want to be. I'm also really interested to hear you talk more about color and how it pertains to your practice because you're also the author of Yarn Play, Colorful Techniques and Projects for the Creative Knitter. Can you talk about that text and what in inspired you to write and publish it? 
Well, that's a funny story. I had a knitting blog for many years called My Life in Stitches that I started in maybe 2000, and I was one of the first knitting bloggers. So I'd had the blog for a couple of years, a couple few years, and I received an email from this woman, Trisha Waddell, stating that she was a publisher and would I be interested in submitting um, some ideas for a book contract? And I thought, I, first I thought it was a scam. I thought this is like crazy. This is, it was just so out of the blue. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just kind of play along and see what happens. And so I sent her some info and they offered me a contract, which was just pretty amazing to me at that time because I really, hadn't done very much as a designer. I had a pattern published in Debbie Stoller's um, Stitch and Bitch, Big Bad Baby Blanket. That was my first published design. And so the book just took off from there. And I was very, I was never a quilter, but I was very inspired um, by uh, quilters, African-American quilters in particular. And so I wanted to try to take that aesthetic and apply it to knitting. Hmm, that's really interesting. And can you talk more about how you took that inspiration from African-American quilting and quilts? And can you talk about how that inspiration then played into your knitting patterns? Well... I was mimicking the idea of working with assorted kind of leftover bits of fabric, as you often see in, you know, historic African-American quilting. And so I thought, how can that translate in knitting? So I tried to apply that concept of um, different pieces kind of being put together um, to make a garment. Mm. And I'm also really interested in seeing like what that's going to look like. So we'll definitely have to make sure that we get some images so that we can have our listeners get a chance to see, you know, what that looks like and how that inspiration kind of came together. I'm also really interested in if you have connected to or created a weaving or knitting or fiber community, whether it's in your literal personal surroundings or a lot of times the people that I speak with on the podcast have created a large following on Instagram and have been able to communicate with people in that way. But I'm kind of curious if you've been able to connect with any fiber communities. Mm, I would say... It's not something that I've put um, much effort into. I'm a pretty solitary person and that's a pretty solitary craftsperson, but I do, I definitely enjoy communicating um, with people, with fellow craftspeople on Instagram. I find that so inspiring just to see what everyone is doing in their world, especially now when everyone is sort of shut in and has a bit more time to to think about like what they're doing and a bit more time to focus on their work. So I 
just love going on to Instagram and just getting a, a window into everyone's world. But yeah, I should probably make more of an effort um, <laughs> to connect in that way. But I just never seem to have the motivation to do it because once I start looking at what other people are doing and getting inspired, then I just want to kind of get back to my own thing um, and work on it. But as I said, there are a lot of amazing Saori weavers in Japan that I'm so inspired by. And here, um, Zenobia Bailey, who's a fiber artist who works in crochet, is an amazing inspiration to me. So I'm always looking to see what she's doing. And um, I love these women. Um, in the UK, Lorna Hamilton Brown and Jeanette Sloan that mm, have done yeah. so much to elevate the profile of, uh, you know, makers of color. And yeah, I just find them really inspiring. And so they're constantly turning me on to new artists. So yeah, there's just so many great people out there that are just just making so many great things that it's I find that really exciting just that people are making things whether they're whether they consider themselves just you know a dabbler or whether they're doing it professionally I just have such a love for things that are made by hand um I think that that's just I, I think it's really important I think it's a very important record of our lives and what we created and uh, the objects that we surround ourselves with. And yeah, I, I just, I think it's, a, it's just beautiful to me. Mm, absolutely. And you also named quite a few fiber artists that I look up to as well. So I completely understand being a fiber-based artist, it's often really difficult to sustain, whether it be environmentally or financially. I'm really curious if you can speak to if you've had any challenges in starting or maintaining your practice. Well, I mean, I right now, that's it's not what I make my living from. There was a, a long time when it was. Um, between um, the books and I was teaching knitting for a long time. So for a long time, I did make my living from it. And uh, now, not so much, which is nice, because the thing that wasn't great for me about the book was it, when you commercialize something that you love and you have to start thinking about an audience and playing to an audience it loses something at least for me hmm. so I'm happy not to have that pressure and so I just make what I make and if people want to buy it great if they don't that's that's great too I mean someone usually buys what I make eventually but um I'm I'm happy not to have that pressure it helps me creatively not to to have that pressure mm, yeah i understand i feel that <laughs> it's interesting when you think about being a fiber artist and fiber arts where um you usually come to 
being a creative in the field based off of just the love and the passion and the joy. And then there is that moment where um, you might want to monetize or you might need to monetize or you might be looking to create something like that for yourself. And so many factors come into doing that and that can kind of take away from the peace and the beauty that it may have provided you. And so I completely understand what you mean when you talk about the pressures of having to deal with that and also just kind of elect to just you know enjoy it and allow it to be fruitful to you personally yeah I just never want what I make to be directed or influenced by the marketplace I just like to keep those things you know very separate I love to sell my work it's it's great but when I make it I'm not making it with selling it in mind I'm making it because wow I love that I love what I'm doing. Mm. And do you have any new projects or future prospects that you'd like to share with our listeners? Right now I'm learning how to do tapestry weaving, which is really challenging for me, but it's, it's fun. I, it's another thing that I, I just get obsessed about things. And so that's my new obsession, but back to Saori, I have in mind to do a series of, blanket shawls probably for the fall which are things that I will um I probably will sell but yeah that's that's the big sort of thing I'm thinking that I really want to set aside some time to do and I'm starting to think about the fibers that I want to use for that and just working out like palettes in my mind but again I'm working out these colored palettes in my mind, but once I actually start, I know it's going to go in a different direction. So it's just kind of a game that I play with myself that I have this idea that this is what I'm going to do and this is what it's going to be. But it could, it could be that I start making these shawls and it's like, no, this really wants to be a garment. So, well, well, that's my idea. We'll see what happens. (laughs) That's exciting. And where can people go on social media or the internet to follow your work and potentially um, support some of these shawls? So you can find me on Instagram at Shobana underscore weaves. That's S-H-O-B as in boy, H-A-N-A underscore W-E-A-V-E-S. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Amazing. It's been wonderful talking to you today. And I just have one last question that we ask everyone that joins the podcast. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? I think just do it. Like, don't worry about it being great. Don't worry about it being perfect. And that isn't to say that you shouldn't work at perfecting your skills and being as good as you can be, not as good as somebody else's, but as good as you can be. I think that's really important to just kind of learn and study, but but mostly to just do it and to feel good about what you do. I think it's I think there's just nothing more gratifying than having some beautiful thing that you made with your own two hands. So just just keep at it and have fun doing it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, LaShawn. It's been my pleasure to speak with you today. Absolutely. That's a wrap.
If you're interested in supporting Lisa or accessing some of her books, you can find links in the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode dash 113. Next week on the podcast, Sarah is speaking with Susan Snyder, founder of the Mad River Fiber Mill in Vermont. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. We'll see you next week. Until next time, happy weaving. Happy weaving.